You don't know flag. You Don't Know Flat, a podcast full of stories about retro gaming, retro computing, video games, arcade games, and technology from a guy who was there and still is. My name is Rob O'Hara, but for the next 30 minutes, you can call me Flat. Episode 145, about podcasting. Hello and welcome to episode 145 of You Don't Know Flack. Today is a special episode of You Don't Know Flack. On today's show, I'm going to be talking about podcasting and specifically how you can get started podcasting. Uh, I know a lot of people think that it's a there's it's a big mysterious secret how to be a podcaster. And I've I've had listeners say I love your podcast. Uh, so many of them, so many of you out there say you email me every day. It's ridiculous and say how much you love my podcast. Um, <laughs> at least one or two people have. And they say that they would like to be podcasters. And uh, people say, you know, how do I get started podcasting? Or what what programs are you using? Do I, you know, what kind of mouse should I buy? If I want to be a podcaster, do I need a special kind of mouse? And so on this episode, I'm going to talk all about podcasting. I'm going to talk about this show, how I got started on this show. I'm going to talk about all the steps I went through uh, in getting this show off the ground. But even more fun is I sent a message out. I posted a message on my blog, and I sent it out on Twitter, asking all the podcasters that I listen to to submit little five-minute clips with their advice for future podcasters. And so I heard back from almost everybody. Everybody sent me their little tips and tricks. And so throughout this episode, you're going to hear from Guy Hutchinson. You're going to hear from Sean from Throwback Reviews. You're going to hear from Ferg. You're going to hear from the Retroist. You're going to hear from all these people whose podcasts that I've listened to, and they're going to give you their advice as well. And I've sprinkled those throughout the show kind of where they fit. Um, And so, anyway, I'm really, really excited. This is probably the most excited I've been about a show in a while. And basically, it's just because, why is it? It's because podcasting is fun. It's fun and it's exciting. And more than that, it's exciting to get somebody else started podcasting. So before I get started on this episode, I want to tell you a story. And this story happened in 2006. Now, in 2006, you may know, I self-published my first book, Commodore, Sorted Tales from a BBS Junkie. In case you're not uh, familiar with self-publishing. Basically what that means is I wrote about 200 pages in Microsoft Word. I uploaded it to lulu.com and Lulu turns it into a book. (laughs) There's definitely nothing magical or particularly special about self-publishing. I wrote a book, I sent it to them, uh, and then that's it. They, They print the copies. They don't really help me sell it. They don't help me promote it. They just print it. Uh, I'm sure it costs them a few bucks to print the book, and then they mark it up a few bucks and sell it to me, and then I mark it up a few bucks and sell it to other people. Uh, so anyway, and, and keep in mind, in 2006, uh, we did not really have the ebook revolution going on yet. So um, limiting my sales to uh, iTunes or to Amazon at that point wasn't really an option for me. And plus, I wanted a physical book. I wanted something to put on my shelf, and I wanted... Uh, 
you know, something for people to see. So now my book debuted at the Oklahoma video game expo, the OVGE in 2006 in Tulsa. And I bought 30 copies of the book. I was disappointed that I didn't buy more. I wanted to buy 50, but I was so running so far behind that I ended up only being able to 30 was the maximum amount you could overnight or something like, or a priority ship or something like that. So, so I was limited to 30 books. So I bought 30 and I was kicking myself. I'm like, Oh, I should have taken 50. And I get down there and I set up, I had a table and I had a, a display with Commodore stuff on display and I had my book out for sale. And at the end of whatever it is, eight hour day, nine hour day, I had sold nine copies. And most of those were to my friends who either bought one because they were my friend or because they felt sorry for me that I hadn't sold more copies of my book. I was kind of crushed, to be honest with you. I thought, gosh, I really should have went with the 50, you know? I mean, that's what I was thinking in the morning. And then by night, I was like, wow, I could have bought a dozen, and I still would have had three spares. And then within a a week or two, there was a positive review, a really positive review of my book that showed up on Slashdot, my website. We used to call it um, getting Slashdotted. My website went down because there was so much internet traffic. And and one day I sold like a hundred and something copies and and I had to order more books and do all these things. And so that that was kind of uh, the first push for Commodore that started out. And then um, I got contacted by two different zines that were both in Germany. I used to joke with people. I tell people I'm huge in Germany. Um, I'm sure all Commodore people in Germany know my book and, uh, they did interviews with me. And, um, uh, a few months later, I don't remember if I contacted him or he contacted me, but I got together with Earl Evans, uh, who does the retro bits or did do the retro bits, uh, podcast. And he interviewed me and that sold some books. So things were just really, uh, you know, the ball was rolling. And so then I went to ECCC, which was the Emergency Chicago Commodore Club, I think is what that stands for. But it's ECCC. It happens every year in Chicago. And I thought, this is my people. This is Commodore things. And I could put up a little Commodore display and I could sell my Commodore books. And uh, on top of all that, I have family in Chicago. So we went to Chicago. I'd, I went to Chicago. My family went on vacation. I took my books, I set everything up, uh, and, I, and I did. I sold quite a few books at this thing, and so it was really worth going. I, I did a lot of networking. I met some really cool people, and the whole time I was there selling books, there's this guy watching me. from. He's standing, oh, I don't know, a few, like maybe 15, 20 feet away. An older gentleman, he's standing there, and um, he finally came over. I mean, he stood around most of the day, and he finally came over. And he said, listen, I'll buy a copy of your book. And um, he said he's really not interested in the book. <laughs> he said he was there with a friend. And the, the friend was into Commodore stuff. So the friend had been had spent all day walking around this little convention room and, and looking at things and whatever. And so this guy was not uh, that interested in Commodore computers. But he said he had a book that he's been wanting to write. And I think it was about fishing. In fact, I know it was about fishing. And he said, I will buy a copy of this book if you'll stand here and talk to me and tell me how to publish a book. And so I did. So he bought a copy and I signed it or whatever. And I told him, I said, you don't have to buy a copy. I'll stand here and talk to you. If anybody's listening to the show knows, I will stand around and talk to you. <laughs> and um, anyway, so he asked me for my advice. And I gave him advice for an hour. And I told him, 
every technical detail I could think of about publishing a book. I told him how I chose the font that I chose. I told him how to how I chose what size of font. I told him how I organized the book. I told him uh, Lulu versus some of the other places. I told him the price difference between printing a black and white book and a color book. And the guy just stood there and he soaked it all in, you know. Um, and then eventually he left and I sat there and I was so proud of myself of all this information I gave this guy. And in retrospect, thinking back and, and why, you know, it didn't, I didn't, think about this guy's story. Really, I didn't think about this until recently when I started putting this episode together. But in retrospect, I gave that guy all the wrong information. It's not that I gave him the wrong information. I didn't give him the right information. And I think what he was looking for was not technical information, not what word processor to use, not how big to make the margins on your paper. That's not what he wanted. He wanted permission. He wanted somebody to say, you know what? You should write a book. And I didn't tell him that because I didn't consider myself to be an author at that point in time. I, I was just a guy who uploaded a document to Lulu. I felt like a scam artist. I felt like I was tricking people and getting money telling them I was an author when I was really just selling them this self-published collection of Microsoft Word files or whatever. Um, I didn't really believe in myself. And uh, at that time, I wasn't really successful as an author. And I didn't feel like, I don't know, like I didn't have the authority to give this guy permission to write a book, you know? And I don't want to come off as like some kind of self-help podcast here or whatever, but right now in this introduction, I am giving you, you right now, the listener, I'm giving you permission to succeed. I am giving you permission to pick up a microphone and start recording. Now, it may not be the best podcast in the world. It will almost certainly not be the best podcast in the world. I will reiterate that. But it will be something. It'll be something out there and you will have started. And you'll be the guy answering questions next time when somebody comes up and says, hey, how do I start a podcast? You'll be that guy. And really the best advice I can give you right now is that you don't need permission from me or from anybody else to start podcasting. But if you want permission, if you want somebody to say, hey, it's okay, pick up a microphone, get started, then that's what I'm telling you right now, that you can begin podcasting. The first submission I want to play for you is from Guy Hutchison. Now, Guy Hutchison... I met through podcasting. Guy Hutchison is a co-host with John Jay on the Adventure Club podcast. Guy Hutchison is a host of Flux Capacicast, which is a Back to the Future themed podcast. He does Bunch of Junk, which is like one-on-one -on -one interviews that came out of Adventure Club. He's on Camel Clutch Cinema, which is a podcast about uh, movies that have wrestlers or wrestling scenes in them. And most recently... Guy started Drunk on Disney with Dana Snyder. Uh, Dana Snyder is on Snidecast. He's also the voice of Master Shake on Aqua Team Hunger Force. That really impressed my son. That I know I'm like two levels away from a guy that does a voice of a shake on TV, but my son is very impressed by that. You can find all of Guy's podcasts on the ACPN. That's Adventure Club Podcast Network, ACPN. TheACPN.com. And this is what Guy Hutchison has to say about podcasting. 
Hey, Rob O'Hara and the You Don't Know Flack audience. This is Guy Hutchinson, and I'm so excited to be a part of this because I love this show and I love this topic. I host a bunch of podcasts, but before I ever did that, I wanted to host a podcast. I wanted to talk on podcasts, but I didn't know how. And so that's why I think this is such a great subject. I tried to find out. I searched and the information was sketchy and confusing. And so many podcasters kept saying, you have to donate or my show will be eaten up by the monster of no money. And so I thought this must be terribly expensive. And it can be but it doesn't have to be. You can podcast right now, today, for free. All you need is your iPhone. You can record it on there with the Voice Memo app that's included on your phone, and then you can upload it to archive.org. They'll they'll put it up for free. Or you can go to Podbean. They have free accounts, uh, and they also have pay accounts, but you could get a free account on there. Or record a video podcast and put it on YouTube. You can submit it to iTunes, which is very easy. All of this stuff is easy, but the the key to it is to just start recording. It's incredibly rewarding. It's so much more fun than I even thought it would be. Now, when I'm looking for topics, here's my wonderful tip on this. I try to get a bunch of different people that I like, a bunch of friends, and I throw out a topic to them. Let's say the other day we did a show where we talked about the movies Michael J. Fox did before Back to the Future. And I threw this topic out, and my friends were like, well, hey, you know, this reminds me of this. And, oh, I saw that movie, but you know what was better? I like this. And all of a sudden, we're having these tangents that are so much more interesting than the original topic. So that's what I strive for every time I record a show. I also think it's important that you just record. Even if you don't put them up, even if you're just practicing, you got a friend that you think you're interesting, I guarantee you, you're more interesting than you think. So go out there, record a show, and I'll listen to it. I, I'm excited for you to start this journey. It's, it's a wonderful thing. I've met so many great people that I would have never known, including Rob O'Hara. I would never have met Rob O'Hara at all if it wasn't for doing a podcast. And now I consider Rob a very close friend. And there's a million other people, well, not a million, but like a thousand other people that I know that way. And that is really something. So please start right now, make a show, make it awesome, and I will download it and I'll listen to you. Thank you so much and have a wonderful time podcasting. I would like to pause the show here for a moment. And just let everybody know that I'm uh, one of Guy Hutchison's top million friends. (laughs) So I'm glad I'm in the top million. I'm going to bump it down. I'm going to say I'm in the top 999,999. I'd like to get it down to a six figure. So a little bit of history about me and about my podcast before we get started. When I was seven or eight years old, I got a record player. And... I got a bunch of 45s. My mom loves garage sales. She would go to garage sales and get me 45s. I got an allowance. Um, I got enough allowance where I could buy two 45s a week. And so my parents would take me to Walmart and I would go buy, uh, you know, 45s, little singles. And I would sit in my room and do my own little radio DJ shows. Like I would play songs and I would introduce them just like that. You know what I heard on the radio, same kind of thing. And um, I really wanted a job in recording. Now, I'll tell you this. I'm a terrible multitasker. I have just a touch. I have more than a touch 
of ADD. It's very difficult for me to do two things at the same time. If I'm talking, I'm having a hard time listening. If I'm listening, I have a hard time typing. I'm not good at multitasking like that, which is something that uh, radio disc jockeys have to be able to do. When I was in eighth grade, we got to do a thing where we got to shadow a professional person out in the real world. You know, we picked whatever job we wanted to be. And some of my friends uh, shadowed lawyers and doctors and things like that. Well, I wanted to be a DJ. And so I got to go sit in with the Breakfast Flakes, which was a big morning show here in Oklahoma City on KJ103 with Mark Shannon, uh, Stacy Bartlett, and Robbie Robertson was on. And um, I got to go sit in. This is just a brief clip of being from that show. Yes, I taped that show on audio cassette. I converted it to MP3 and I have it right here. This is a clip of me from the morning show, The Breakfast Flakes, uh, from eighth grade. Bugaroo. KJ103. Every rose has its thorn. That's Poison in the Morning. Mark Shannon with Robbie Robertson, Stacey Barton. Good heads here. Also, Mr. Rob O'Hara sitting in on lead guitar back here in the corner. Okay. Hey, Rob. Rob's from Yukon High. He's a miller. And he's uh, welcome aboard. He's shadowing us this morning. All right. Hey, man, get off my back, okay? <laughs> anyway, what class? Are you, what what class is this for? Uh, Advanced. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's like a brain kid or something. Make, make sure you say hi to. So I always had a you know that desire to be on a talk show or to be on the radio or whatever, and unfortunately I was blessed with this horrible nasal voice, which um. <laughs> That's one thing uh, when it comes to podcasting, you have to get over your own voice. But um, anyway, so around 1999, uh, late 1999, maybe early 2000, uh, a friend of my wife's opened his own music studio. And uh, so this guy allowed me to hang out in his music studio and I would go up there. It wasn't too far from our house and I would hang out and I would watch how he recorded and how he did the mixing board and all this. And I decided that's what I wanted to do. Maybe it would even turn into a career is that I was going to record bands. I was going to have my own little recording studio here at the house. And I went and bought all this equipment, about a 24 channel Mackie mixing board and 24 inputs for my computer, a huge rack thing where I could record 24 different audio tracks at a time. And I did all this stuff. And then I had a, a band come to my house and it was such a horrible experience for me that I never did it again. I never recorded another band. Uh, there's probably a whole podcast in there about that. There's probably a book in there about that, but um, suffice it to say that that did not pan out for me. So at this point, I had no recording studio, I had nobody that I wanted to record, and I had a couple thousand dollars worth of audio recording gear. So, on a previous episode of You Don't Know Flack, I talked about Souls at Zero, and if you remember, um, I even published the audio history of Souls at Zero. Well, that's what we did with that audio equipment is uh, my friend, uh, the stranger and I, we hooked up this mixing board. I mean, it was way overkill for what we needed. I hooked up these microphones, you know, and we did all this stuff and, and I got it all hooked up to my computer and we sat there in my living room. We put on headphones and we had these microphones and we told the story of Souls at Zero. Here's like 30 seconds of it. Well, this is a little thing we're going to do to tell you the history of Souls at Zero. And this is the stranger... And this is Jack Flack. And what we're going to do is just talk a little bit about how Soul Zero started, because I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who really want to know this stuff. 
for all three of for all three people <laughs> in Candelabra who actually want to know exactly. how Soul Zero started. This is dedicated to the alienist. This is dedicated to the alienist. That's true. Because he's the only one that's really going to listen to this. Exactly. This is not for dial-up people. I have to have a case <laughs> mode because no. this might be a little long. Now, the funny thing about this file is when people record podcasts today, most people that do it in MP3 do it at 128. Um, is it Hertz? Uh, now I'm going to mess up. Somebody's going to call me out on this. But either 192, 128, whatever. Um, we were so worried about file size on that file that we did it at 32, which is unbelievably low and terrible quality. And the final file was 11 meg, which, by the way, is about eight times smaller than any episode of You Don't Know Flack. And then we took it and we split it in half because we thought nobody will download an 11 meg file. So it's two 5 meg files. Uh, And we even joke about it on the show. We talk about how um, this is for cable... You had to have a cable modem because nobody on dial-up is going to download this gigantic, huge 11 meg file. So it just goes to show you how long... I mean, this is in um, 2002, so it shows you how much things have changed in the last 10 years. Um, In 2003, I started hanging out on a forum called Digital Press. Uh, I was also on Atari Age, but I, I ended up hanging out on Digital Press more. And through that, I became a moderator and eventually an administrator. And so I was spending a lot of time talking to people about arcade games and video games or whatever. So I thought, you know what? I've got all this audio stuff. I want to record a show. Um, I'm going to record a podcast about video games. And so uh, my friend, The Stranger, and I, we got everything together over at his house. And actually, I bought these USB headphone mics. They were $25 each. They were USB and they had a microphone and headphones built in. And my laptop had two USB ports at the time. And so I had my laptop and two USB ports. I plugged each one of these headphones in and I panned one left and I panned one right. So we'd each be in our own little channel. And I recorded, we called it Flax Smack. And we did two episodes and they were an hour long each. And basically what we did was we recorded video game reviews as we played the games. And we didn't have any way to get the audio from the TV out into the microphones. And uh, so anyway, you can't hear the games. You could just hear us talking about the games or whatever. And it was kind of fun. Um, Here's just a a brief clip from that. Let's see what we got here. Wait, you've moved my thing. I have a problem. So, um... Now we're we're uh, picking who we'd like to see in bra and panties, and unfortunately and there, are no, there are no men. <laughs> there's only about five girls. You have Miss Jackie, Nydia, Lita, Jazz, and Trish, and Stacey. These are the real people. Do you think that it looks like them? You know, it's I odd. It looks somewhat like them. It's like them, an airbrushing of them. Yeah, it's a weird look for them. Now, my favorite gonna... person is Lita. Okay, then I'm going to be Trish. Okay, so we have Trish status versus Lita. Yeah. And uh, and a lot of screaming music in the yeah, background. Yeah, you know it's those damn kids and they're they love the music. music. <laughs> get it? Okay, we'll find. So what you'll hear on these two things is uh, both on um, the Souls at Zero thing and on uh, Flax Mac. They were shows, but they weren't long-term shows. I mean, it wasn't something that was really sustainable. You know what I mean? Um, and so I, I know that on Flax Mac we use the word podcast, but it's not even really a podcast. I mean, we didn't really intend it to be an ongoing thing. It was just kind of like a one-time deal, you know. So 
around the time that Commodore came out, I started looking at ways to promote the book. And um, so I would I would search Google for places talking about retro computers and retro games and things. And I started finding podcasts. And the first one I found was a podcast named The Boring Beige Box. It was by a guy named Matt Wilson, and this uh, started in 2006. You can still find all the episodes of Boring Beige Box at boringbeigebox.libsyn, that's L-I-B-S-Y-N, dot com. And uh, Matt recorded 22 episodes from April 2006 until January 2011. Now, I will tell you that Boring Beige Box was probably the single biggest influence on You Don't Know Flack. Um, Matt's show was all about old computers. He would pick a topic. He would get on and one person, one person's show, he would get on and talk about a single topic for half an hour or so, uh, and then save it and publish it out. And I was like, that's what I want to do. That is what I want to do. I want to do a show by myself where I talk about a topic and save it and people listen to it and I get feedback and I move on to the next topic. Now you do have to link those topics together and I'm getting to all that. This is kind of a all part of the introduction, I guess, but um, boring beige box. And I highly recommend if you're into boring beige box is about um, basically DOS PCs, more or less that era of computing. And it's a great show. Um, the second inspiration for me was Earl Evans and Earl Evans it was the host of RetroBits. I guess RetroBits has now kind of been split up into several more specific shows, but um, RetroBits is also available on Libsyn. It's retrobits.libsyn.com. Earl started RetroBits in 2005, and I think the last episode that's online is from the spring of 2013. Earl interviewed me about Commodore. Shortly after my book came out, it is episode 71 and 72 of Retro Bits, their first two episodes of 2007. Uh, Earl is also a co-host on the Retro Computing Roundtable RCR podcast, and he has now split off Retro Bits into a couple different shows, one of which is Chicken Lips Radio, which is a show about Commodore 64, and I'll talk a little bit about that later. Uh, but Earl's show was the same type of thing. He, it's um, it, some On some of his shows, he does interviews, but for the most part, it was him talking about a topic. And I think both of those shows, what they told me was that people were interested in hearing about retro things. Now, obviously, I'm interested in talking about retro things, uh, but finding out that people were interested in listening about uh, retro things was just as important. So I started You Don't Know Flack. I started You Don't Know Flack in 2008. I did a few episodes, and then it kind of tapered off and then I found The Retroist. And The Retroist started in March of 2009. And he started recording shows. And I think right now he has 149 episodes is the last one I saw. Uh, and he's still going. And he talks about retro topics or whatever. So those three people were all definitely influences for me. Uh, and then the fourth one is a later entry. But it is uh, the No Quarter podcast. The hosts are Carrington Vanston and Mike McGinnis. And... Um, at a point when You Don't Know Flack had all but died and it had just kind of stalled out, here comes this podcast about arcade games, which is one of the things I was going to talk about. And these guys come out and all of a sudden they're putting out a quality show every week. And I was like, holy crap, like, 
you know, there are a couple of years, and I've got the numbers later, where I put out like three or four a year of You Don't Know Flack. And all of a sudden, these guys are doing a weekly show. And so that really kicked me in the pants. And it was because of their show that I made a pledge this year to do a show a week. I have not met that goal, but I'm going to be close. I'll be in the 30s. So 30-something episodes for a year uh, is not bad, especially considering last year I think I had four episodes or something. So, um, But, yeah, No Quarter podcast definitely um, got You Don't Know Flack back on board, back on a schedule for a, a weekly, at, at least an attempt at a weekly recording cycle. So, so. I got one more story to tell you, and this is uh, from the uh, mid-90s, and it's a quick one. In the mid-90s, I found out about multi-track recording. That's when I first discovered it, and I wanted to record an album. And so I went and bought a four-track recorder. Actually, I bought an eight-track recorder, so it recorded eight tracks at a time. Uh, but we still call it a four-track. But I had a four-track recorder, and I had a guitar, but I didn't have a bass. So I went and bought a bass. And then I was like, oh, I don't have any drums. And so I bought a cheap drum machine, and I didn't have any good microphones. So I went and bought a mic. So I had all this stuff. And I'm like, hey, I need a mixing board, I'll bet. So I bought a mixing board, and so I had all this stuff. Um, there were two things I didn't have at the end of that. Uh, one was any songs, and the other was any talent. <laughs> and those are two important things if you plan on recording music. Uh, and so the reason I'm telling you that story is because if you want to do a podcast, if you're excited about podcasting and you're ready to do a podcast, you probably have a microphone right now that'll work. You probably have a computer. You probably have, uh, access to get the free software that most of us use for podcasting, but I'm going to tell you, wait just a few minutes. Let's listen to this episode and do things in the right order. Because if you don't, you're going to waste your time. You're going to end up having to redo some things. So Basically, what I'm going to tell you are the steps that I went through to launch You Don't Know Flack. And along the way, I'm going to play some audio submissions from other people that have similar advice. Not that I only, <laughs> it makes it sound like I only got advice from people that had similar thoughts. It's not. It turns out, though, if you listen to a lot of different podcasters, a lot of us are all saying the same thing. So I've had people ask me, where did you learn about podcasting? And I'll tell you two things. Number one, I took my kids to the public library downtown Oklahoma City one time, uh, the whole family, and my wife went with the kids down to the, the, the uh, they have a children's area downstairs, and I went upstairs, and I looked up podcasting, and I found Podcasting for Dummies. You know the series, the big yellow books with the big goofy-looking guy on the front, and I sat down, and I, I didn't read the whole thing cover to cover, but I skimmed it, and I read all the topics, and I found out about RSS feeds, and I found out about recording, and I found out about show formats and all these things. So I read podcasts for dummies. Literally, I was a dummy. I'm still kind of a dummy, <laughs> but I read that book, uh, and that helped me out. And then the other thing, this is the, the best advice. Um, it's the best advice I ever got for writing as well as podcasting and for a lot of other things. When I first attempted to write a book, I got all these books from other authors about writing books. Um, Stephen King has a book called On Writing, which is about writing. Ray Bradbury has a book. Uh, with his advice on writing. And the number one advice that everybody has, if you want to write a book, the number one advice is read books. The best way to learn how to write a book is to read a book. Not a book about writing, but books that have been written. And it's because you can see how other people did it. You can see what works and what doesn't work. Be a good reader, and then that will help you be a good writer. And I will give you the exact same advice 
when it comes to podcasting. If you want to be a podcaster, if you want to make your own podcast, listen to podcasts. And if you look at things from a critical eye or maybe a critical ear in this, uh, in this instance, um, it doesn't mean you have to enjoy every podcast you listen to. You don't even have to enjoy, uh, the topics maybe, but if you're listening to it, um, critically, you can find things that work and things that don't work. Maybe there's a, a podcast about gardening or something. You're not really into gardening, but you can find out, you know, how do they structure their show? You know, I'm always, whenever I listen to a podcast, I listen to them. Uh, every podcast I listen to, I listen to on two levels. One, I listen to the information, but two, I listen to everything else. I listen to how's their sound quality? How have they organized their show? How do they do things? What, you know, how long is it? All those kinds of things, you know? So, um, you can, you can, um, gain a lot about podcasting just from listening to other people's podcasts. So anyway, uh, number one, I didn't number all these. I should have numbered them all, but the number one thing to getting started podcasting is decide that you want to make a podcast. That sounds very simple. That sounds very easy, but you have to say that you can be a podcaster. You have to believe that you can make a show that other people will listen to. You don't have to believe that you're going to be the best. You don't have to believe that you're going to be the number one download on iTunes or anything like that. But you do have to believe that you can do it. And a lot of people never get over that step. We're going to hear uh, a submission later from Ferg that talks a little bit about that. And I really like Ferg's submission. Um, But you have to, once you've decided, the biggest step that you can make towards being a podcaster is deciding that you want to be a podcaster. I really can't stress that enough. Once you've decided that you want to make a podcast, and you may have already done this second step because they do kind of go hand in hand, is you need to pick a topic. Now, I this is my personal opinion. And a lot of the things I'm going to talk about, I'm going to preface that. I'll probably say that a few times. This is my opinion, and there's no right or wrong way to do a podcast. I mean, there's all different kinds of formats. There's all different you know styles and forms and formats and links, but... Years ago, I went to an entrepreneur class. My wife and I decided we were going to start our own business, and there was an entrepreneur class at the local Votech. And we went to this class, and the guy asked us what we wanted our business to be. And I said, well, it's going to be a computer business, and I'm going to make web pages. I'm going to do tech support. I'm going to help people do backups. I'm going to write documentation. And the guy was like, whoa, 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 slow down. He's like, you need to pick one thing. And I'm like, yeah, but but the thing is, if I'm helping people with websites, but if that's not selling then, you know, I, I want this to be back up. I'll also write programs. I'll also do this. And the guy's like, no, he said, listen, you don't want to do that. You want to focus your energy on one thing. You want to be the best at your niche. So let's say you do website development. You want to be the best website developer. And then when people are looking to have a website developed, they'll come to you. Because that's what you're known for is being a great website developer. So it's it's counterintuitive. I know it doesn't really make sense, but the best thing that you can do is find a topic and focus on it. Now you don't want to make it too specific. You don't want to only review four-player Atari Twenty Six Hundred games because you're going to run out of games pretty soon. <laughs> but you also, in my opinion, don't want to review. Every video game ever known to man on every system everywhere. And why is that? And the, the reason why 
is because when people go looking for podcasts to listen to, that's probably not what they're going to go look for. They're not going to go look for someone who's reviewing every game on every system for every everything. They're going to look for, for example, on Ferg's 2600 Game by Game podcast, they're going to look for somebody who's reviewing Atari 2600 games. It's a specific niche, and it's a great idea. That's a, that is specifically a great idea for a podcast. Another piece of advice, and you're going to hear this multiple times throughout the show, make the show you want to hear. If it's something that you don't think you would listen to, other people are not going to listen to it. There are lots of shows out there right now that are little more than people hanging out on Skype, chit-chatting about whatever they want to. And you know what? That's great if you're friends with those guys, or if you want to be friends with those guys, or, you know, whatever. But... If it's a topic, I mean, if it's a show that's supposed to be about gardening, why am I talking about gardening today? I've never, I'm not a gardener. I do not garden. I do not enjoy gardening. I don't eat things that come from gardens for the most part. Wait, maybe, I don't know. Is that where grilled stuff burritos come from? I don't know. Um, I found a podcast that was supposed to be about um, Dungeons and Dragons. And it was specifically, I was searching for podcasts that were from Oklahoma, and I found this podcast from uh, uh, Oklahoma Dungeons and Dragons players, something like that. I was like, yeah, I was like, you know what, I'll, I'll listen to that. And I listened to about three episodes, and it's three guys in a room, and they're talking about uh, dates they've gone on, what kind of cars they like, this TV shows or whatever, and they might talk about D&D every now and then. But I thought, I, I've deleted it. I don't even listen to it anymore because it's so far um, out of scope of what I was going for, you know, so... Um, if, if, like I said, if you make it too specific, you're going to have a hard time keeping up episodes, but if you don't make it specific enough, it's going to be hard for you to find an audience that's looking for what you're talking about your show. Anyway, I've rambled on enough about topics. Here's somebody who I think has a great topic for a podcast. It's our buddy Ferg from the Atari 2600 game by game podcast. Hey Rob, this is Ferg from the Atari 2600 game by game podcast. I'm glad to be able to talk on your podcast a little bit because of all the contributions you've made to mine, audio and otherwise. I didn't really know what to talk about at first because I've only been podcasting for less than a year, and then it hit me that I could talk about that. I guess the hardest thing for me was to find a subject to podcast about. Find something that you that you enjoy, something that you know a lot about, something you can find out a lot about. I do a lot of my research online. I don't know everything about my subject. The best podcast for you to do is the one that you want to listen to that's not being done. I like listening to a lot of classic video game podcasts, and most of them, if they're not about one subject, most of them pretty much stopped at the Nintendo, and there wasn't anything before that. And I wanted to hear a podcast about the Atari 2600. So that's what I did. I made a podcast about the Atari 2600. And now I'm trying to fit as many uh, plugs in for it as I can (laughs) on Rob's show. (laughs) Sorry, Rob. Yeah, find something you're passionate about, Got some friends together or talk about it by yourself. Uh, Kevin Smith says that a lot. You know, just get a bunch of friends together and talk and record it and put it out. And you may find that you get a lot of listeners. You may find that you don't. Uh, That's one thing I'm not going to talk about is promotion because I'm very bad at that. I guess another thing I could talk about is actually getting started. When you do have the idea and you've settled on a subject... Start recording right away. Don't wait. Don't hem and haw about it. That's what I did, and I regret it now because it it was like three and a half years before I actually got started after I had the idea, and I really regret not having started then. 
once you have the idea, just go ahead and do it. Don't worry about what other people think about it. Do it. Do the podcast for you. Do the podcast you want to hear. And other people will find it. Uh, I was surprised by how many people found my podcast. Do what you want to do. And I guess if you build it, they will come. <laughs> the last thing I'll talk about is talk to other podcasters. Most podcasters are very willing to talk to you about how they do podcasts. I mean, Rob is doing a show on it, so he's willing to share his information. He actually helped me out a lot. He started up in January this year. He wanted to try to do a podcast every week. So I was asking him about, you know, how he was doing it, what he was using to record with. Pretty much anybody will talk to you about it, I found. So that's my three bullet points. Find the podcast you want to listen to. Get started right away and talk to other podcasters about how they do their podcast and get ideas from that. All right. So I hope that. Thank you, Ferg, for that submission. I like what Ferg said. I mean, I think the greatest advice Ferg has is get started recording. Um, you know, Ferg, like he said, he had this idea for his show for a long time. He didn't do it. Now he doesn't know why he didn't start a long time ago. I agree. I wish I had started, um, you know, earlier than I did just because, or kept going, you know, more regularly. Oh, that sounds weird. Um, <laughs> get recording on a more regular schedule. I'll tell you something else. I have received feedback on my show that people say they hate it when I make jokes and crack myself up. And, um, you know what? That's just the way I am. I do that all the time. I make little jokes and they and they crack me up. So that's just the way it goes. You cannot please all your critics. And we will talk about that later in the show. After you have picked a topic, my suggestion is to pick a name. And the reason why I say to do that and do it early on is because that will help you set the scope and the boundaries of your show. When I started You Don't Know Flack, I actually had a contest on Digital Press on the forums, and I had people uh, throw out names for a podcast or whatever, but I set the boundaries before. I said, this is going to be a podcast about me, my stories, my history, about technology, and um, I think it was uh, a friend of mine, Scooter, who threw that name out, and I liked it because it had to do uh, with a game that You Don't Know Jack, you know, and, and You Don't Know Flack. Um, but also, it summed up the idea that uh, you know, you may not know who I am. So you're going to tune in. You don't know flack and you're going to find out something about my history or something I'm interested in on every show. So, uh, it was a name that fit. Um, and then, like I said, you, you set that scope. So, and you don't know flack. I've had people say things like, Oh, I wish you would do a show on this, but it's just something I don't, I don't know anything about. And I haven't had any experience with, and that's just a little bit outside the scope of the show. Um, along with when you're picking your name, you might start thinking, now this, these aren't things you have to do on day one, but you might start thinking about, um, what I call your, your metadata. In other words, like you're going to have to have a logo, you're going to have to have a picture, um, you want to have a description and basically what you're doing. Like I said, you don't have to come up with this first, but in the back of your mind, keep in mind that basically you are creating a show, you're creating a brand, you're going to be selling your show. And so, you know, all these things will, uh, come in together. They're all tied together to make a, a common theme for your show. The next thing that I would suggest 
figuring out is your format. And there are a lot of different ways to record a podcast. There are a lot of different types of podcasts. There's multiple people. There's a solo person, which is what this uh, podcast predominantly is. There's an interview type podcast. So those are all different types of shows. Again, if you listen to other podcasts, find one that you enjoy, and then you can try to mimic that. You need to figure out how your show is going to flow. You know, for You Don't Know Flack, I have over time, my show has evolved. If you listen to the early episodes, they don't sound like the later ones. Basically, what I do now is a short introduction. Then I do my little shtick that's called the loading time, which is uh, about 10 10 to 15 minutes of whatever I want to talk about, and then I get to the topic at hand. Um, I have learned that if you make the loading time segment too long, you lose people, and they don't stay around for the rest of the show. Um, So you can also, another decision is if you're going to write out uh, your show, I will tell you that when most people begin podcasting, they write their shows out word for word. I've heard Ferg talk about that on his show. I used to do that. If you listen to my early episodes, it sounds like somebody reading straight from a piece of paper, and there's a reason for that. Um, After you get a little bit more comfortable in front of the microphone, after you've done a few episodes, I think you'll find it easier to work off an outline. That's what I've done here today. That's what I do with You Don't Know Flack, and that's what we do with uh, Throwback Reviews. It still pays to rehearse. It still pays to run through and make sure you know what you're going to talk about. If you don't, if you haven't run through your outline at least once and, you know, mentally have gone through what you're going to talk about, you'll get a lot of stammering. You'll get a lot of uh, what they call filler words. I'm terrible at it, ums and ahs and things like that, because I write such a brief outline that a lot of the times I haven't thought about the topic until I get to it. A little bit of preparation goes a long way. Also, another piece of advice, work with what you have. And I know that uh, some of the audio submissions coming in talk about that as well. If you have access, if you if your machine won't run Skype, then don't plan on doing a show that uses Skype. If you do like Skype and you're familiar with it and you have other people that you want to podcast with and they use Skype, then that's a great choice, you know. Um, anyway, it's all about picking a format. Now, this next submission comes to us from Carrington Vanston, one of the co-hosts of the No Quarter podcast, and this is Carrington's advice on picking a co-host for your podcast. Hello, listeners of Rob. This is Carrington. I've been podcasting since 2005, and in that time, I've learned that the single most useful piece of podcasting gear you can have is a co-host. You see, let's say your show is going to be a half an hour long. Well, then, if you're podcasting with someone else, then really what you're preparing for is a half an hour conversation with a buddy. And that's pretty easy to do. When you wing it solo, the way Rob does, it's much more difficult. Because now, what you're doing is giving a half an hour speech. Much more difficult to keep up the enthusiasm. Much more difficult to prepare for, because you're basically writing a 30-minute monologue. It's more difficult to interact with your audience because it's just you talking. But when you're podcasting with someone else, then you've got a schedule to adhere to and you've got somebody else that you're trying to not let down. So it's far more likely you're going to stick to a regular schedule because you know that other person is going to be there waiting for you. So there are a lot of advantages to podcasting with someone else. How do you find that someone else? Lots of podcasters want 
to do more podcasting. That's why we get into it. So if you don't have anybody in your immediate real life circle who you can podcast with, my advice would be just reach out to existing podcasters. It never hurts. Just ask them, Hey, I've got an idea for a show and I want to record it Monday nights. Are you free for half an hour? If you're not asking them to shoulder a lot of the post-production work, they don't have to do the editing and the uploading and that sort of thing. You probably find it fairly easy to find somebody who would love to have a conversation with you about an interesting topic every week. So once you've found your co-host, how do you go about doing the actual recording? Because you'll probably not all be in the same room. What I would suggest you use is Skype. Now, I don't suggest it because it sounds good, because it doesn't. And everybody hates it because it crashes all the time. I hate it. You hate it. The people who make it are probably thoroughly ashamed of themselves. But Skype has three big advantages. It's free. It's ubiquitous. And it lets me feel smart by using words like ubiquitous. So you'll use Skype just as a way to connect with each other and to hear what each other are saying, but you should record yourself locally. Each person involved in the podcast makes their own separate recording of just their track. It's then very easy to mix those tracks together. You can record the Skype call as sort of an emergency backup safety net, just in case one person's recording doesn't work. And that happens to everybody. So what you'll want to do is have each person record themselves and just pick whatever recording software you like individually and are most comfortable with. So I use um, Audio Hijack Pro on my Mac and I like Logic Pro a lot as well. Basically, I like things with the word pro in it, but you can use Audacity, you can use GarageBand, you can use whatever. And each person records their own individual mic to a single track. Separately, it's good if one or two or maybe all of you record the actual Skype call as a backup, and you can use something like Call Recorder to do that. And both your recording software and Call Recorder on Skype will happily run at the same time on the same computer and, and create completely separate recordings. So nice little bit of backup there. And then one person, whoever's doing the editing, gathers up the various tracks that the individuals have recorded and simply slap them together in something like GarageBand or Audacity that lets you edit multiple tracks at once. Another nice thing there is typically people will have different volumes. I am usually very loud and the people I record with sound like they're standing in a different room than their microphone. But we can level out individually. I can bring my volume down. They can bring their volume up. And then we sound all nice and even in the mix. Another little tip. At the very beginning of recording, since you'll all probably start recording at different times, do a round robin and just say the words one, two, three, four, five, six, something like that. Each of you taking one number. Then the person who's editing simply lines that little bit up so the numbers are spoken in order and you've got your tracks all lined up without having to match time code. Nice and simple. So that's my advice. Get a co-host, record yourself locally, record the Skype call as a backup, and have fun. I will say that Carrington is right. It is difficult to not only talk in a room by yourself for an hour, but also to keep listeners for that long without anybody else. Um, some of the first feedback I got, uh, some of the earliest feedback I got on You Don't Know Flack said, uh, this is a great attempt at a show. Once you get some co-hosts, it'll be great. <laughs> and I, I did get my feelings hurt a little bit because the whole idea was not to have a co-host. The idea was to have a little one-man show. But um, 
Anyway, uh, a common theme here from several submissions is using what you have available. And so here's a submission I got from Earl Green. Earl Green puts out the Escape Podcast, which is a daily podcast. Earl puts out a show every day, about five minutes in length. Uh, And so here's Earl's suggestions, uh, among other things, about using what you have available. I'm Earl Green, and I'm the host of Logbook.com's Escape Pod, which is a daily micro-podcast, which is sort of like a combination between your typical morning radio Today in History segment and everything geeky. Instead of talking about, you know, your typical celebrity birthdays, you know, I talk about birthdays of astronomers, people who discovered asteroids, astronauts, video game designers, people who were in Star Trek, that sort of thing. It's about as geeky as you can get. One of the reasons I settled on the format that I did was because I barely have time to listen to podcasts. So as you can imagine, I barely have time to record anything for podcasts. So I sort of wrote down what my podcast listening issues were and realized that perhaps the answer was for me to make the podcast that I really wished someone else would make so I could be listening to it every day for five minutes or so. Well, you know, Which isn't to say that I despise all podcasts that go over five minutes, but if I was going to do this, if I was going to start this project and see it through to completion, the only way I would be able to do it would be if everything was under ten minutes. And So typically what I will do is I write everything out in advance because there's no way I could remember all this stuff. And aside from writing it out very, you know, very straightforward, this also means due to the length, I typically will drop in sound bites and little pieces from episodes of things that I'm talking about or news reports or audio from NASA blastoffs and things like that. Typically, I record under two minutes of audio for each podcast. Add in the sound bites, and you wind up with something that's more typically on the order of five to seven minutes. So I guess my advice here is to look at your limitations. Look at what you have time to do. One of my least favorite things in the world, and unfortunately I'm very guilty of it on many occasions, is starting something that I can't finish. You know, real life gets in the way, that sort of thing. This is a project that I actually have a snowball's chance in hell of finishing. In fact, I have written all the way through a complete year's worth of them. Now I just have to record them all, and I'm recording them in short chunks as time is available, which is you know, not, as, not as easy as you would think if you're a stay-at-home dad. But... Look at the limitations of the time and resources you have and start within that. At some point, I would like to get back to longer-form podcasting. At some point, I would like to take part in you know, some of the sort of group panel type of podcasting that, uh, that just it sounds like, from listening to it, it sounds like so much fun to take part in because it's certainly fun to listen to. And at some point, I will dip my toes into those waters one of these days when I have the time. But for the moment, uh, five-minute scripts, or, or actually more like one- or two-minute scripts, editing into five-minute podcasts is what I'm able to do. And it's it's a project that I'm able to see through completely to the end 
of 365 days, actually 366. I'm re I've got one written for February 29th for leap years. So I'm Earl Green, and I guess you know for those of you who are sitting there scratching your heads, going TLDR. My advice is work within what you know you can do. Don't set out to do the Tonight Show when you're starting out by yourself because you're not going to be able to make you may not be able to make your podcast into the production number that you hear other people doing and that's fine I mean the people who are just knocking it out of the park and have live audiences and live call-ins and things like that that's awesome more power to them they also have a lot more resources than I do so I set out to do a project that I knew I could do and hopefully other people will enjoy. Any of you who want to listen, give it a shot at thelogbook.com. It's on the front page. Go to the escape pod. Pick out your birthday. Pick out your anniversary. Pick out some random day. See what kind of shuttle launches happened on that day. See what episodes of Star Trek premiered on that day. You might be surprised. Thank you, Earl, for that. And Earl's suggestion is a good segue to move into hardware and software. Now, this is getting into the nuts and bolts. And this is what people ask me all the time. What programs do you use? You know, should I get this kind of mic or this kind of mic? And I'm going to tell you all the secrets. I could tell you all the secrets in one sentence. Get ready. Get ready to write this down. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what program you use. It doesn't matter if you have the world's greatest mic. It might help. <laughs> it might help your quality a little bit. But I will tell you this, I've listened to great shows with terrible quality because the content was so good, it made me want to listen, even if there was a little hiss in the background, even if the person didn't have a pop filter and their microphone explodes every time they say the letter P, I would still listen to it. And there are some shows that sound so slick. Can I say slicker and snot? That's an Oklahoma term. Is that an Oklahoma term? I think it might be. There are shows that sound slicker and snot <laughs> and will bore you to death with their great production because there's no content. So anyway, let's talk about hardware and software for a minute. For hardware, you need a computer, a microphone. If you're doing multiple people, you need a set of headphones. That's pretty much it. I just bought a pop filter for this mic. I recorded the first... 40-whatever episodes that you don't know flack without one. I have one now. My microphone explodes a lot less, so I guess that's good. Um, I know you can make them. I found one on sale at Guitar Center for $10, so I bought it. It's not really designed to attach to this. Uh, I have a Blue Yeti microphone, and uh, the bass is really kind of funky, and it's not designed to hold this thing, but um, uh, you'd be amazed what you could do with duct tape. But anyway, um, you're also going to need some software. And, uh, now you need software to record with, and if you're going to edit your show, you're going to need editing software, which is probably the same thing. The same thing you record with will probably be, it's a little different in my case, but, uh, you need to record, you need to edit. If you're hosting your file somewhere, you'll need FTP software. Um, this is all just basic stuff. Now I will tell you, people say, well, what do you use to record? Let me tell you. I have recorded, you don't know Flack, I'm counting here, one, two, three, four. I've recorded it on five different computers. 
this laptop, my other laptop. I have a netbook I've recorded. Um, the computer in my computer room. I've recorded episodes of You Don't Know Flack on all those. Plus, I recorded an episode um, on my iPad. I used, um, I bought the USB adapter for the iPad and I plugged my uh, Blue Yeti into the iPad and recorded an episode. I also have a standalone digital recorder. If you listen to the Ninja episode, I, re- I used it on that with no computer at all. So you can use anything, anything to record a show on. And Guy Hutchison said you can record on your iPhone. You know, the more money you spend on a mic, you'll probably get better quality. And doesn't, it's not necessarily the case. It still requires a little bit of fiddling around with settings and, and the way that you set up your room or whatever. But, um, but yeah, you definitely want to, I mean, you could do a lot of stuff with not very much equipment. Talking about the microphone he uses and a few other things is Sean Johnson, my partner in crime from Throwback Reviews and Throwback Network, and also the host of OTR Radio. Hello, everybody. This is Sean, Rob's co-host on Throwback Reviews Podcast. Uh, I just had a couple tips, just two quick ones. Uh, I think one of the biggest things that people get worried about when starting a podcast, because something I worried about, is equipment. And I've learned that you don't have to have super expensive equipment. As a matter of fact, I'm recording this right now on my USB rock band mic. That's right. The mic that comes with the rock band set, whether it's for the Wii or the PlayStation, it's just, it's basically just a USB Logitech mic. And that's what I record with. So if you have one laying around, um, you can pick them up at probably a GameStop or something like that. But you don't have to have the best equipment like all the the big radio professionals um with with the power of applications like audacity you can always adjust things if you don't quite like the sound you can take out some background noise uh with with audacity so starting a podcast you really can do it pretty pretty cheap uh you don't have to get all sorts of web hosting if you don't want to there's free options out there the internet archive will allow you to post on there you can link if you have a blog uh, blogger account or a wordpress you can always link to that so you can always do it fairly fairly cheap if you want i mean really all you have to do is have a computer and a microphone and an idea so it's really pretty easy and the other thing is just have fun you know do a topic that is something you're interested in you don't have to be you know a expert on whatever you're doing you could just you know, you pick a topic that you enjoy, you want to talk about, uh, whether it's, you know, you're doing a podcast by yourself or if you have co-hosts with you, uh, you just want them to have something that you guys will have fun talking about and just do it. Just have fun. Don't be scared. You kind of get over the fact that, you know, you hope that you have lots of people listening to you. That's the whole point of doing a podcast. So you kind of get over those things and, you know, over time it gets easier and you feel more comfortable with it. And uh, that's really about it. That's that, Those are my two tips. So go get yourself a rock band mic and start podcasting. And since both of them have mentioned this on the air, I will repeat the fact that both Ferg and Sean use rock band mics. If you don't own a copy of rock band, well, first of all, congratulations for making it through that horrible wave of video game history. Second of all, Go to Game Exchange. I have vintage stock here, any place like that. I see those microphones all the time for 5 to $10. They're USB Logitech microphones. 
get one, plug it in. Welcome to the world of podcasting. Uh, several of the submissions have already mentioned Audacity. Audacity is a free piece of software used for recording. I originally recorded mine with um, Sony Vegas. I'll talk a little bit about that when I get into the specifics of You Don't Know Flack. But uh, suffice it to say that it's a little overkill for doing a weekly one-man podcast. Most of the people I've worked with since then all use Audacity, and so I've somewhat, I'm recording with Audacity right now. Uh, it has some nice built-in features with noise canceling and compression and normalizing and things like that that can take your okay-sounding podcast and make it sound really good. And they can take a good-sounding one and make it sound great. Now, once you're done with your recording, you're probably going to want to do a little bit of editing. You might want to put a bumper, uh, an introduction on the front. You might want to put an ending. You might want to put some sound effects or whatever. I would caution you to stay away from copyrighted music. That's a number one flag that will get your podcast in trouble, um, especially if you're going to be going through iTunes. I just avoid it. Um, all the music on You Don't Know Flat came from uh, public-released 8-bit music, and so I, I edit that in, I splice that in. So, you know, I do a little bit of editing, and editing, you can get overboard in a hurry. You can get really deep in editing, especially in my early episodes. I would go take out every um, uh... You know, I would cut all that stuff out. And so I would record an hour-long show, and it would take me two to three hours to edit it. It was ridiculous. And um, it, it got to the point where I didn't want to do it anymore. And that's why I kind of quit doing it, to be honest with you, is because it was so much work, you know. You'll do a lot better if you just leave those things in, or better yet, don't put them down on the hard drive. If you could control what you're saying before you record it. It's very difficult for me to do because I form sentences in my head and then I repeat them. Uh, so I do a lot of that, that, uh, those pauses and the us and the stammering. And, and if you go to edit that stuff out of your podcast, you'll find out how much you do it because I have to go cut one, about three out of every sentence. And so it's a real pain in the butt. Anyway, moving on to my next suggestion. This is a quick submission I got from Rick Reynolds. Rick Reynolds is the newest. No, not anymore. Uh, the second newest podcast to appear on throwbacknetwork.net. And Rick Reynolds is one of the three hosts on the Intellivisionaries, which is a great podcast uh, about Intellivision. And uh, so you should definitely check those guys out. Here's Rick talking about some of the hardware and software that they use on their show. I'm Rick Reynolds from the Intellivisionaries podcast. We're very new. Still only have uh, two episodes out so far. But I figured I'd put in what I can. Uh, we're a multi-host show, and we went in that direction primarily just to lessen the load a little bit. It's a little easier to come up with topics and to um, do the research and all of the, all of the different pieces it takes to put a podcast together, just kind of spreading it around a little bit. And actually because of that, I don't have a lot to say about audio production because Paul handles that end of things for us. He does a great job at um, pulling all the different audio sources together, mastering it down, making the levels sound right. He's just good at that stuff and has the equipment for it. Uh, but I can speak a little bit to my setup and what I do. I use a Mac, and when I'm recording just myself, like I am right now, I use a program called Audacity. It's very simple to use. Hook a microphone up, hit a big record button, and you're rolling. Uh, when we record the three of us together doing the podcast, we use Skype uh, to talk to one another. And Paul takes care of taking the output of that into... Uh, another computer to do the recording. He would have to speak to those details. Uh, he just handles that end of it. 
Um, I'm honestly not sure how to get Skype to do recording. I think it can do it. Maybe you need a plugin or something for it. Uh, I tried to do that once and um, couldn't figure it out. Um, so to do uh, the one time I did that, I was doing an interview and I used a program called Piezo from Rogue Amoeba to record the Skype session. Uh, Piezo is a program that just you just tell it record the sound coming from that app and it records it for you. And uh, that worked great to record an interview I did over Skype. I think it pays to get a decent microphone to do recording. Um, I use a microphone called the Blue Yeti. They go for about $100 or so. And from other podcasts I've listened to when people have talked about this kind of thing, they talk about the Blue Yeti being one of the microphones that kind of hits a nice a nice point between, um, you know, kind of bang for buck, between spending too much or too little in terms of the quality you're going to get out of it. Um, and it does a great job. Uh, I also recommend a pop filter uh, to put in front of the microphone. They sell one with the blue that you can put on the Blue Yeti, um, but I made my own out of um, uh, a needlepoint hoop and some pantyhose. There's videos on YouTube to show you how to do it, and it's, you know, I got it done for a couple of bucks and maybe less, and it was just uh, real easy to do. Um, other things to consider, I, I like to work from an outline. I like to have an outline written up about what I want to talk about. It serves as a reference point for points I want to make. Um, things I don't want to forget to say. Uh, rather than writing out a word-for-word -word script, I think that um, just being more extemporaneous from an outline comes across sounding more natural, as if someone's just talking to me about the topic. Um, that's just what I prefer. For parts of the show where we're all talking about the same topic, which in our show is the bulk of the show, um, where we're recording together, we use Google Docs as a place to collect the information about what we're going to talk about. And so we all kind of have this list in front of us and uh, you know, we just kind of take turns hitting stuff on the list. Uh, we don't actually go point by point or anything like that in terms of formality, uh, but we all kind of have this thing in front of us. So we know that, okay, he's talked about that. I don't need to bring that up again. And we can all kind of feed into that list before the show. Uh, I, th I think also it's good to have in your mind a good point of view for what your show is going to be about. I think it helps you when you're making your show to keep you on point, and it um, also gives your gives the listener a reason that they might want to listen to your show um, because you you have a particular point of view that you're bringing. Um, uh, in terms of social media and things like that, we established a Facebook presence and a Twitter account, um, and again that kind of spread around. I I handle the Twitter part. The other guys are a little more active on Facebook than I am. I'm not really much of a Facebook person. Um, but then I think another piece that's, I don't know, I think it's decently important. We set up a, a dedicated web website for the show. Um, I think it's important that the, the website has a, or that the show has a home on the internet somewhere so that someone who finds your, finds your podcast can go there, find all the back episodes, find show notes. There's going to be a prominent link there that says, here's how you subscribe to us. And here's where we are in iTunes and all that kind of stuff. I think having that home base for your podcast is is, uh, is pretty important. I don't know. I, I think it's probably possible you could do a podcast solely out of Facebook or maybe there's some other syndication sites out there that could do the whole thing from front to back. Um, but that's the, that's the approach we took. Now, once you've finished with your recording, you need to put it up on the internet so other people can get it. Uh, you've heard Libsyn mentioned several times. Libsyn is um, a good podcast host. You can upload your podcast. They charge, they have different packages based on how many people download your podcast each month. Uh, so they have bandwidth-based packages. They offer a lot of services. 
You can also, if you want to set up your own WordPress site and do all that kind of stuff, you can do that. Um, HostGator is who does uh, Throwback Reviews and Throwback Network. And uh, I think those are like $5.99 a month, something like that. So uh, not very expensive. This is not an expensive hobby to get into. Um, Podcasts do use bandwidth. People are streaming your show and downloading your show. Um, One thing that you'll want to get, no matter who you do your hosting with, you want to make sure that you can get stats. You want to find out how many people are listening to your show. You want to find out, um, i tell you one stat. I have some shows that I can look at and see that a lot of people listen to them, but didn't listen to them all the way to the end. So that tells you, maybe you're doing something wrong. Maybe your show's too long. Maybe your intro's too long. Maybe, um, you're not putting more interesting things towards the end. You put all your good stuff up front, you know? So, um, again, it's a dangerous game to, to play into, to start switching your show around to meet listeners, but I do like getting some feedback like that. So as Guy Hutchison mentioned in his opening segment, you can host your files at the internet archive, which is free. Then all you need is a, a website or some sort of RSS feed. Um, I do my own hosting here at the house. I may change that eventually just because it's such a, a bandwidth crush when I put a new episode out and, and all, you know, everybody comes and download it all at the same time. Um, but, um, there, there's lots of different kinds of ways to do that. So don't get hung up on the details. First of all, uh, focus on getting your show topic, getting your show format, those kind of things, then find a place to host it. Find out, um, you know, email other podcasters, find out where they host theirs and how much they pay. And most people be glad to tell you. Now let's talk about feeds for a minute. Now, why, what is a feed? Why do you need a feed? Um, if you're not familiar with feeds, uh, I use RSS. I used and damn Google for closing their RSS reader because I used Google reader all the time. Uh, a feed is basically an RSS feed is, um, a list that you can pull off of a website that shows their updates. So in other words, if I subscribe to a feed for, um, let's say CNN, I don't have to go to CNN.com every day to see what the new stories are. I just check my little feed reader and it shows me all the new stories that have been posted on CNN. So it may not seem like a big advantage. I have to check my reader. Why wouldn't I just check CNN? But I subscribe to about 200 feeds so I can look at my little list and I can see which websites have new content for the day. It's very convenient. It's a very easy way if you want to read a lot of information all at one time. Well, podcasts also have feeds, and the reason why they have that is because on the other end, your listeners, you people right now, probably use some sort of uh, podcatcher, is what I call them. Or, or a, I use Downcast, which is an iOS one, but there's lots of different ones available. Some people just use iTunes. I believe I just read that iTunes is responsible for 85% of all podcast subscriptions, so that's something to keep in mind. Once you get a feed set up for your podcast, people can go to iTunes, they can punch in your feed, and then every time you post a new show, their iTunes downloads the show. That may be how you listen to You Don't Know Flack. Um, I will tell you, right off the bat, when I started You Don't Know Flack, I was just posting these posts, these MP3s out on the internet. Ooh, here's an episode, here's an episode. And I finally had somebody tell me about uh, episode five. They said, I won't listen to your show unless you have an iTunes feed. And this was in 2006. Now it's even more so. There are alternatives, but again, I'm going to repeat this statistic. 85% of all podcasts are downloaded through iTunes. So if you're not on iTunes, you just wiped out 85% of your audience. I'm not pushing Apple, not even particularly (laughs) pro-Apple, 
But I am telling you, that's where a big chunk of your audience is. Number one, you have to get your show on iTunes. It's not difficult to do. You go to iTunes. If you go Google, how do I get my show on iTunes? There's step-by-step instructions. You have to submit it. You have to submit a feed. You have to make a graphic so that they can plug it in or whatever. It's very easy to do. It'll take you about five or ten minutes. Number two, I was so proud of myself. I got myself on iTunes. I got those 85%. I was so happy. And the next feedback I got is, you need to get your show on Stitcher. Okay, well, why do I need to get on Stitcher? Because I hate iTunes. Well, all right. (laughs) So I went and got my show on Stitcher. It's the same thing. Go Google how to get my show on Stitcher. You'll find out. Um, Very easy to do. So um, when I first started, you don't know, Flack, when I I re-cranked the engines up in 2012 and I said I'm going to do an episode a week starting in 2013, my goal was to get... Uh, you don't know Flack on as many RSS aggregates as I could. Because no matter if you didn't like iTunes, I wanted it on Stitcher. If you didn't like Stitcher, I found one called Podcast Pickle, and I got it on Podcast Pickle. So you can go to Podcast Pickle and get you don't know Flack. Um, what a deal! <laughs> That's where I get in trouble making jokes for myself. <laughs> um, I I got on all these different. Um, Places. And I'll tell you what, they give me statistics. I went and looked the other day. I've been on Podcast Pickle all year, and this year I think I've got 23 downloads through Podcast Pickle. I probably won't put any more ever. It doesn't really hurt me if people do it because ultimately all those feeds lead to the same place, and that's where I monitor my downloads. So I can still track how many downloads or whatever, but um, I can tell you that I get less than a dozen listens on Stitcher. And I get um, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds from iTunes. So uh, the other big place that, um, especially if you do your own hosting on WordPress or whatever, um, or Libsyn offers this, since I host my podcast on a WordPress, WordPress has a built-in RSS feed. So uh, I have people that just point to the RSS feed of my WordPress site, podcast.robohara.com. I set up a separate sub-site just for the podcast. And the only posts that go there are posts about the podcast. And you point your little feed thing there, and then that's where you could get the podcast. So that's those are the big three that I have. I mean, for myself, I have iTunes, I have Stitcher, and then I have just the RSS feed by itself. Next up is Paul from the Intellivisionaries. Uh, Paul's going to talk about some of the hardware and software they use, and he's going to talk a little bit about things that they tried and didn't work on their new show, the Intellivisionaries. Uh, and he's going to mention feeds and iTunes a little bit. So take it away, Paul. Hey, you don't know Flack listeners. This is Paul Nermix Nermanen from the Intellivisionaries podcast. I just thought I'd comment a little bit about the whole podcasting thing. Um, basically, if you want to get started in podcasting, you don't have to have a whole lot of equipment. Um, I have kind of a background in electronic music and recording, so I have a pretty decent setup here, but All you need is a way to record yourself. Most people use a computer. I use a couple of different computers in my setup. I have a Mac that's running Skype, and that's how I talk to my co-hosts, Rick and William. And that feeds into my mixer, which feeds into a PC, which is running an old piece of software, but it's very reliable, called Cool Edit. And that records our conversations. My mic is mixed in through the mixer as well. And, of course, once I have all that information... I edit out the uh, pauses and the mistakes and the flubs and the things like that and the clearing your throat. Um, And once I have the edited segments, 
I load that into a piece of software called Cubase, which is primarily a musician recording tool, but um, I've managed to make it work pretty well for the podcast. I can put everything together, arrange it, put in the bumpers, the music, the different segments, get things exactly where I want them placed, and when you're done, make a nice mix down of it, and you've got your file. A few things that you should keep in mind, it's a good idea to have a pop filter, which is basically a little screen that sits in front of your microphone to block out the P's and the B's, that kind of thing. It's also a good idea to have a mute button that you can hit if you do need to cough and maybe you're doing a live segment or you're interviewing somebody. And and sure, no one's going to care if you get a cough or two in your podcast. We're human, right? But, you know, I think it sounds more professional if you can kind of edit the little things out like that. So uh, that's recommended. Um... It's not necessary for everybody. In my particular setup on my mic, I have um, a compressor and a limiter with a noise gate. So after I stop talking or, you know, there's certain background noises, you won't hear those. The noise gate kicks in and closes the mic like it just did there. And uh, that helps out with maybe some little things that are going on in the background. You can set the level to drop out after a certain point. Uh, prior to doing the Intellivisionaries, I did work on some other podcasts, help people out, do different segments, music, things like that, uh, like Stalking the Retro and Retro Gaming Roundup and a couple other things. But um, the thing that I wasn't all that familiar with when setting up a podcast is the whole RSS feed thing. Now, many of you probably already know this, and I and I understood the general concept, but I didn't know the way to go about setting up the whole RSS feed because, you know, an RSS feed, basically you subscribe to something and the content is sent to you without you having to go to some website and find it. It's automatically sent to your podcast catcher, you know, whether that's something through iTunes on your phone or on your computer, it's up to you. We went with a service called Libsyn, Liberated Syndication. It is not a free service. There are free services out there, but I decided to go with this because they're kind of one of the bigger names in it and reliable. And they take care of getting your feed out there. Um, they also track all your statistics so you can know how many people downloaded your show per episode, whatever, however you want to look at it. And it's updated rapidly, almost real time. Uh, and of course, most people use iTunes. You want to be on iTunes and searchable and, you know, come up high in the listings. So they handle getting your stream, your RSS feed to iTunes. But in addition, you have to submit your podcast to iTunes also before that'll happen. In our case, it took a couple of days for them to approve it. And once that happens, it starts showing up in iTunes when people search for the keywords that you put in when you started the podcast and submitted it to them. But essentially, once you have all that in place, it makes the whole process a lot simpler. You take your finished file, you log into your account, you upload it. Boom, it's ready. Everybody who's subscribed knows there's a new episode out. They get it. They listen. No work on your part other than uploading one file. Uh, we do also make the show available on our, on our website, but the uh, player that I have on the website is actually part of Libsyn, so it's still streaming from them. So that allows me to track downloads even if it comes from my site. Uh, I'm really kind of generalizing all this stuff. There's more to it, but that's the basics of it in case you had didn't really have an understanding of how that worked. That's what you need to do. And, of course, the top priority of all of this stuff is having a podcast topic. What are you going to talk about? We talk about the Intellivision. People talk about all sorts of things. Whatever you're interested in, just get to know that subject. Perhaps find a co-host or two. Plan out some ideas. We kind of ran through quite a few things uh, before we got started. Figure out some segments. 
You can always add to them later or take them away if they don't work out. But just put some pre-planning into it. Take some notes. Have some notes when you're recording. So hopefully this was helpful to you, potential podcasters. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of work. But uh, if it's something you really are passionate about and want to talk about, then people will probably notice your passion and enjoy your podcast as much as you do. Good luck. Thank you, Paul. Now, this is the part you've all been waiting for, so you all want to lean in close to the speakers. Turn it up the volume just a little bit extra on your headphones, because now we're going to talk about making money. This is where we're all going to get rich podcasting. So if you, I'm going to pause the program for just a second so I can count all the money I've made podcasting. And I'm back. <laughs> Didn't take long. Uh, there are ways to make money podcasting. You can ask for donations. Beg. Tell your listeners. This show is very expensive. Now, I I will let you in on a secret. I just let everybody else in on the secret that if you uh, have a website at HostGator, it's $5.99 a month. So I'm not sure how much sympathy you're going to get on that your podcast costs $8 million to, to put out or whatever. Um. For throwback, well, if you figure five ninety nine times a year, we figure it up um, with, uh, actually, we're doing a, a slightly different one. Well, with the domain name and, and everything else, it's going to cost us for throwbacknetwork.net, it's going to cost us 100 bucks this year. Uh, and Sean has set up a Amazon partner thing, I, and, and he runs all that, so uh, I should have looked more into that. But, it, but we get a, a percentage. If you go through the link on Throwback Network, and you go through that, and then you buy something on Amazon, we get a percentage of that. Um, And I don't know how much money we've made, less than five bucks, I think, so far. But, um, you know, if you could break even on podcasting, I think so many people would be happy. But even if you don't, it's a very small price to pay for um, the enjoyment and the interaction that I get out of podcasting. I would gladly pay $100 a year to do this. Some other ways to make money, you could get sponsors. I actually, on You Don't Know Flat, would allow people to sponsor episodes. And then when they did that, I would attach their name. I would advertise whatever they wanted to do. And that worked out okay. Um, I kind of, I don't know, after a while, basically I made enough I made enough money to pay for my hosting for a year. And so I kind of quit pushing it. Because, like I said, I don't think the goal of any podcaster is really to get rich off of doing it, not at our level, and there are people that do it professionally or whatever, and there are podcasts that people pay for, and um, there's different ways to do that as well. Um, but uh, I made enough to to pay for my hosting for the year, so I, I kind of dropped it, you know, and, and may, I don't know if I'll do it next year or not. If you go out and Google um, pay for podcasts, there's a lot of different ways that people do that. Some set, uh, I know that there's some podcasts that are like maybe two hours long and you get the first 30 minutes for free, but if you pay, then you get the whole show. Uh, I know there's a podcast I found where you get every other show for free and then you can pay to get all the episodes. Uh, so there's different ways to do that. I honestly, if you're wanting to podcast for money, you might look at some different hobbies. (laughs) You might look at going to garage sales and selling things on eBay because you'll make a lot more money doing that than you ever will podcasting. Now, not that you ever will, and don't let me squish your dreams. Good luck to you. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> In summary, here's some general advice. I mean, kind of to sum those things up. Number one, make a show that you want to listen to. 
If you make a show that's not interesting to you, it's not going to be interesting to anybody else. Um, so make a show that you would listen to and also make a show that you wish someone else were making. I'm going to talk a little bit about Sprite Castle here in just a minute. And that's exactly why I made Sprite Castle, because I was looking for a show that did that and I couldn't find one. That's why I made it. You are not logged into one show for the rest of your life. So if you create a show about whatever and you do a few episodes and you don't like it, quit. Also, you're not locked into one episode or one podcast at a time. Carrington Manston owns MonsterFeet.com. If you go to MonsterFeet.com, there are seven shows listed there. They're not all active right now, but they're all shows that he's done. So he does one show, and you know, once that's run its course or whatever, he does a different show. He might bring one back. Earl Evans had one show, Retro Bits. He split that into three different shows. And Carrington and Earl Evans do RCR podcasts together, too. So these guys are on multiple shows, and, and I think you'll find that. I think you'll find once you start podcasting, you'll want to do more and more of it. I started with You Don't Know Flack. I eventually met up with the guys from Throwback Reviews. I joined Throwback Reviews. Guy Hutchison has had me on his show. Um, you know, that's the way it works. You start branching out and you start finding. And by doing that, you find the things that you like to do and you find ways that other people are doing things. So it's, it's a big, not only is it a big community, it's a big friendly community. These people all want to do things with each other. They all want to share information and have a good time. So next up is Doug McCoy. Doug McCoy runs McCoycast, which is three podcasts, three separate podcasts that he combines into one feed. Plus, he has some other shows uh, on McCoycast, so I, I think he has even more than three. I don't know how Doug keeps up his schedule, to be honest with you. But anyway, here's Doug McCoy. Doug touched on a bunch of different topics, and I wasn't exactly sure where to put his submission, so I'm putting it here. Take it away, Doug. So Rob Flack O'Hara has asked me, Doug McCoy of the McCoycast podcast, to give you some advice about podcasting. And that is nothing short of insane, actually, because Rob has been podcasting longer than I have. Rob has more technical know-how than I do. He certainly is going to be much more knowledgeable and experienced in this area than I am. But, you know, he asked, and I'm a loudmouth, so I'm more than happy to contribute. I am a hack. Let me just state that up front. Uh, if you haven't figured it out by now, I am a hack, unabashedly, admittedly so. I tell folks on my show that I'm a hack in many areas. I'm a hack in the, the research part, because I don't like to research, and I'm a hack in the technical part, because... I don't like to research the technical part, so I just do it to the best of my ability. I've just kind of fiddled around with the computer and somehow a podcast came out. But at the very least, I can tell you what I do. And if you're a complete novice, a complete noob, maybe that will be of some help to you. So that's uh, what we'll do. Here we go. Let's start with uh, hardware and software. Software is easy. I use uh, Audacity. I, I think just about everybody does. There may be something better out there, but I found Audacity more than five years ago, uh, I'm sure. And I began to use it for work, actually, for the things that I need to do at work. And then when it came time to do a podcast, it was natural to continue to use uh, Audacity for a podcast. So I use Audacity. Uh, it's free. It's easy to use. I was able to figure it out. And it's the uh, software that the guy on Paranormal Activity uses to uh, record the ghosts in his house. So you know, that makes it fun as well. So Audacity is what I use on the software side. Hardware, I have, you know, just my regular laptop computer. I think about uh, three gigs of RAM and, um, 
1.66 megahertz CPU. Does that sound right? I'm not even sure. It's just a, a pretty low-end uh, laptop, actually, because I'm pretty cheap. In addition to being a hack, I'm cheap, so it's you know really a cheaper-end uh, laptop. Microphone, I have a, a Blue Snowball microphone. I had heard that was the best. That's all the research I did into it. Somebody said it was the best, so uh, I bought it uh, a little into my podcasting career and began to use it. Now, I, I will tell you this. I don't know if it's the best or not, but I will tell you that when I began to record with it, first five minutes that I had it, I could tell just by the, the waveform, is that what you call it, the sound form in Audacity, I could tell right away I was getting a better sound. Uh, the blue microphone uh, is, do you call that unidirectional? It, it only pulls in sound from one direction, so I just put uh, it right in front of my mouth, and that's all it's going to record. It, it's very good at, at shutting down some of the ambient noise. I also have a pop filter to hopefully reduce the pfft and pfft that I used to get uh, when I was using a, a headset microphone. Um, and... Um, I record in a closet to try to reduce um, echo. I have a house with uh, solid floors and high ceilings, so we get a lot of echo. So I go in the closet. I seem to get the best sound there. I don't like that. I don't like having to go to the closet, but that is what I do. Now, I have heard some people that they prefer to use a headset, you know, where, where you have the headphones and the uh, microphone together. And I did start out that way, and I got pretty good sound that way, uh, except again for the pff and the pff, you know, with the P's and the F's and the hard consonant sounds uh, would make a noise that I'm sure could not be pleasant in uh, people's uh, ear. So that's the uh, the hardware and the uh, software side. Uh, technical advice, what do I do to make it uh, sound good? Well, again, I go in the closet to try to reduce some echo. I know that that is effective. I run uh, Normalize on the program when it's done. I run um, Compressor. And um, that's about it. You may want to do noise removal if you've got some real bad ambient noise. That's tricky, though. Because it can give you, uh, it can distort you, actually. It can make you sound really, really bad. But if you get the right balance, it can remove outdoor noise. I've recorded outdoors, and you would have never known because I, I ran the noise removal. So uh, be careful with that one, though. Compressor and normalize, though, will make it sound a, a little bit uh, better. Show topics, uh, Rob has asked about, uh, I do what interests me. I just assume that there must be a lot of people out there that like the things I like, so I talk about the things that I like. Now, you know, that may or may not be true. There's going to be plenty of people that don't like uh, the things that, that uh, I like, especially this new group of people called millennials. Man, I can't stand them. But, you know, I think that's a good way to go. You pick the things that you like and just run with that. One host versus multiple hosts. I think multiple hosts can add more dimension, but uh, one host gives you... Um, more control. Uh, I do most of my shows one host. Well, the show that I used to do was one host, and then Crazy Creepy Cool Movies is one host. Never seen it, uh, which I do with my wife. That's the two of us, but she's more kind of silent partner. I do the majority of the talking there. And uh, 80s anthologies, we do have multiple people on. Um, multiple people, again, it's going to add more dimension, but it also is going to remove control from you, and you may get people talking over each other. When we record multiple hosts, we uh, either Google Hangout or we Skype and I record the Skype, and I record my voice separately from the others on Audacity, so I'm recording in two programs at the same time. I could edit that out if I wanted to, us talking over each other, um, but I just don't want to put that much time into it. Editing is my least favorite part of podcasting. I try to avoid it when all 
ever possible. So, um, you know, if I really wanted to go all out, I could edit out us talking over each other, but uh, I just uh, prefer uh, not to. And then Flack has asked about promoting your podcast. Um, your guess is as good as mine. I'm not good at promoting it. I get it on iTunes. I get it on Stitcher. And I just hope that um, people searching for things that I like will find it and listen to it and like it. So I really could use some help on that in myself. You're not going to get much help from me there. One final word that I could uh, could leave you with, though, is, is just do the best you can. Uh that applies to sound quality. I try to get the best sound quality I can, but I also be a little. Uh, I'm also a little merciful with myself there because I know that I'm willing to listen to other podcasts uh, that have you know less than stellar sound quality. Some have great sound quality. Some you know you can hear a little static or crackles or whatever. I'm willing to put up with that if the content is good. So do the best you can in the, in the sound part of it. But do the best you can in the content part of it as well. Really try to make it uh, good and people will listen to it. Along those same lines, don't listen to your reviews. Don't read your reviews. I don't. I would encourage you not to as well. We know what kind of trolls are out there on the internet. You don't need their negativity infecting you. Do the best you can. And then, you know, whether it's good, whether it's bad, it's the best you could do. You're an artist. You have a right to make art. Make the best art you can put it out there so we can enjoy it in the best way you can and then it just is what it is i'll tell you this right now doug is selling himself short when he calls himself a hack i know what he's saying that he is self-taught or whatever he's also very good uh his his speech mannerisms are very good his tone is very good he's very pleasant and easy to listen to um you know Doug just told you that he records at his house on an underpowered laptop in his closet. But it didn't sound like that, did it? It sounded like every other podcast you listen to. It sounds great. It's about content. It's about presentation. And it's about caring about your show. And you do those things and it comes out in your show. Doug has great podcasts. And he's another one that's done former podcasts. He did some other shows. And when he got tired of those, he shut them down. He started, you know, a new show like that. So like I said, you're not locked into one thing for the rest of your life. Doug also mentioned having a good microphone. I agree with him on that. I'm not saying that if you want to be a podcaster, you have to go out and spend $100 and buy a good microphone. I'm not saying that. Uh, I am saying that a more money you spend on a mic, the better you'll sound. I think that's pretty much universally true. When I did those early... Uh, recordings where I had a $25 mic, uh, you know, the headset thing or whatever, it sounded like a $25 mic. And this mic that I have now, the Blue Yeti, sounds great. Uh, it doesn't make me sound any smarter, but it makes me sound uh, clearer. <laughs> Things that have worked for me in podcasting. Number one, telling stories, because that's what I like to do. If I were trying to do a show where I had to do a whole ton of research on every episode or whatever, it wouldn't work because I don't like doing that. And I wouldn't continue to do that. It wouldn't be fun. This is something that's fun that we're all doing in our free time. Um, so pick whatever it is that you like to do. Play to your own strengths. If you're good at talking off the top of your head, do that. If you enjoy doing research or doing different things, then do that. Do whatever you like. You know, Like I said, if you want to do it for the long term, don't make it painful for yourself. I can tell you a few things that didn't work for me. Number one is putting music where I was talking. Some people can pull that off. I've never been able to do the correct balance of how loud to make that music. Um, I did one episode where I, I put background music under the whole episode. And I got 
responses that said the music was too soft. I got responses that said the music was too loud. I got some that said, please do this forever. And I got some that said, please get rid of it. (laughs) So there you go. Four-way tie. Uh, But it was. And one thing that uh, I've learned over time is that I listen to podcasts uh, at work. Or a lot of times I work from home. And so I'll listen to shows while I'm working. Um, not everybody does that. A lot of people listen to podcasts in their car. A lot of people listen to podcasts during their commute. And so your podcast may sound different on different types of speaker systems or stereos. In a car, the music may be much louder or may seem louder than it does on a pair of headphones, or it may seem sound different, you know, in an office-type environment. So um, if you're making a show and you want people to hear your words, then make sure that your words are easy to hear couple other things I've learned. Number one, I have to control how my volume uh, because I am a loud type person. And as the longer I record, the closer I get to the mic. So what inevitably happens, especially when I record with throwback reviews, is I get closer, closer, closer to the mic. And also I'm usually drinking heavily (laughs) throughout the show. And then by the end of the night, I'm yelling and laughing loudly. And if you've ever seen what microphone clipping looks like, Uh, that's what all my recordings end up looking like is because I'm just shouting uh, and being way too loud. So that's a conscious thing that I have to do. I could turn down the volume of my mic and uh, that, that helps a little bit, but it's just something that I've learned over time. Again, I didn't know that on the first episode or the second or the third or the 10th, you know, it just, just takes time to learn these things. Uh, And finally being conscious of ambient noise, uh, I, you know, if you read my recent blog post, I recently built PodCart, and I'm sitting here at PodCart right now, which is a metal utility cart that has my laptop on top of it, my microphone, a mouse. Um, right now it's got a wine cooler. <laughs> and let me tell you, this whole thing is metal. Now I've put a soft blanket on top of it to kind of dampen this, but guess what happens when I sit over here and I click my mouse? I mean, hear that. Or if I set, set that down on the metal, that's all things that makes noise. And some of that stuff can be edited out later. Most of it can't. Um, so it's best just not to introduce that stuff into your environment in the first place. So uh, if you have squeaky chair, like I do, I have this stupid squeaky chair, get a chair that doesn't squeak or sit really still, which is what I normally do. I try to sit really still. doesn't always work. Uh, my microphone has a mute button on the front. So when I do... Uh, podcasts with uh, Guy Hutchison or uh, like over Skype or uh, using um, Google Hangouts with uh, Sean and the Throwback Reviews guys. I use that the mute button a lot. So if I'm going to move my chair around, I hit mute, I move my chair, I get still, then I unmute or whatever. So it's a lot easier to fix things while you're recording than it is to fix them afterwards. It's, it doesn't, uh, I mean, it doesn't make it impossible to fix later, but um, it, it's a lot more work. So anyway, let's talk about You Don't Know Flack. Let's talk about me, my favorite topic. You Don't Know Flack made its debut in March of 2008, and I broke this out. And I got these statistics right from my website. I sorted it out by year. In 2008, I recorded six episodes. 2009, I recorded one. 2010, five episodes. 2011, one episode. And 2012, four episodes. So from 2008 to 2012, five years I recorded 17 episodes. That's not very good. So far in 2013, I have recorded 26 episodes, not including this one. So how do I record this show? Well, first of all, I write an outline. 
I write down all the things I want to talk about. I write down um, where I'm going to put my little sound effects for loading time, and I may write down two or three, uh, two or three talking points. Uh, I used to write everything out, like I said. I used to read, literally read from the page, um, and and that's hard for me not to do that in one way. My shows are more fluid now. Sometimes I come up with jokes off the top of my head, and so I think that part's better. Especially when it's with a group of people, you really can't write things out. I think uh, I'm a better writer than I am a speaker. So a lot of times, the ones that I wrote out, I think, flowed better a little bit. I think they sounded better. I think they were uh, so they were better put together. You could do a combination of the two. You can write things out and then glance at them. And then, uh, you know, I mean, if you have a good joke, I guess you could write it out or... or uh, specific facts that you want to mention. But other than that, I just pretty much freewheel it at this point. Um, after having done it several years, it, it gets easier. The first episodes were difficult and there was a lot of awkward silence on the microphone. And I spent a lot of time trying to edit all that out. Then I wrote things out or whatever, but eventually you get comfortable. You get comfortable on the mic. And right now I'm looking at the mic, but I'm looking around the room right now and I'm thinking, what am I going to say next? And and it just starts to come to you. So like I said, a little bit of practice goes a long way. I told you about how I got the name of the podcast. I did that on Digital Press. You don't know Flack. And I set up the scope. And the scope of the show was stories about technology, computers, video games. Uh, and so that was the expectation I set with my listeners. On episode number two, I talked about Dungeons and Dragons which has nothing to do with any of those topics. And so I had some people say, well, I tuned in for a video game show and now I'm getting Dungeons and Dragons. And so I didn't do a good job. And I, I have done episodes that the one that, that ah, is the bane of my existence. I don't, that's the, not the right term. The one that gives me the biggest mixed feelings is the Ninja episode, because it is a retro story from my youth which is kind of what this podcast has become. Because let's face it, I kind of ran out of technical topics. But, um, so it's not technical. It's also one of the most popular episodes. Um, it's in the top five for the downloads. Uh, number one is the very first episode. And number two is the uh, interactive fiction episode with Rob Sherwin. Because I, I pushed that on the interactive fiction forums. And uh, so those are one and two. And I, th- I think Atari 2600 may be number three. And the Ninja one, I think, is number four. So, yeah, I set up a, a scope for myself, and then I broke it on episode number two. So it wasn't, wasn't the greatest idea, and I, and I try to stay in scope on all, uh, on all the future episodes. Another thing I did, when I was researching other people's podcasts, I saw a comment from a guy, and he said, I would never listen to an, a podcast that wasn't at least on episode 10, because it takes 10 episodes to work out all the kinks and blah, 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 or whatever. So when, when I got married... I had never written a check in my life, I don't think. And I, we went to, we opened up a joint bank account and we went to the bank together and the bank gave me a checkbook. And I think it was started like the first check was number 500. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And they said, well, yeah, you don't want people to think you just, this is a new checkbook. So it starts at 500. I'm like, oh, that's a great idea. And by the way, I still have that checkbook somewhere. I'm not really sure where it is. Uh, but I think it's on check 505. I think I've written four checks in my life, and probably three were for pizza delivery. So when I read that comment, I thought, that's a good point. So my first episode of You Don't Know Flack is number uh, 101. 
Episode 101 is the first episode of You Don't Know Flat. So it's just like that checkbook. I started numbering at 100 so people would think uh, uh, that I knew what I was doing. And I've had people come back and say, I've had people looking for the first 100 episodes. <laughs> and uh, so that's our little secret. Um, obviously, if you go back and I mean, the first episode, number 101 is called Firsts. And if you listen to it, I, I think I talked about, I think I even told the uh, check story. So, um, but yeah, you know what? There's no rules when it comes to a podcast. Do whatever you want to do. Uh, over the years, You Don't Know Flack has evolved quite a bit. The first episode, there was lots of background sound effects. Like I went and found sound effects for the different games that I was talking about. I don't really do that too much anymore. Um, I mentioned earlier, I've gone from music in the background to no music. Um, you know, over time, you find what works for you. What's what's worth the effort? What's not worth the effort? It really wasn't worth the effort to me to um, go put background music in, in different sections just to have people complain that they couldn't hear what I was saying. So um, I kind of quit doing that. Um, I will tell you, I won't say I disagree with what Doug McCoy said about reading reviews of your show. Uh, I'll also tell you that I do it. I go out and I Google You Don't Know Flack and I try to find people that are talking about the show. Um, and then I look at their feedback and then I decide if I want to, you know, give any weight to it or not. Uh, like I said, I had people talking about my show saying that they couldn't understand what I was saying because the background music was too loud. Well, that was valid feedback. And I did, um, you know, well, at first I adjusted and later I removed the background music. Um, I, I've seen other comments about the show that I go, well, that's their opinion, you know? So if you're going to do that, go in with thick skin and don't necessarily, or what's a better way, don't automatically change your show based off feedback, because that's just one person's feedback. So, you know, get a second or third opinion maybe before uh, before you make drastic changes to your show. I would take any negative review in consideration, um, but I, I always like anonymous type reviews. Not anonymous, but reviews where people don't know that you're reading them. So, you know, if, if it's a review that someone emails you, then it's probably going to be positive or maybe they have a, a reason to be vindictive and give you a negative review. So if it's a, you find one on a forum that someone's talking about and they don't know that you're there, then you can get a lot more honest feedback. Let's talk about Sprite Castle for a minute. Now, Sprite Castle is not a podcast in the true sense of being an audio-only um show that you subscribe to through iTunes. In fact, um, it's not even on iTunes. You can subscribe to it on YouTube or you can just check the website. Um, Sprite Castle, I was looking for a Commodore 64 podcast. And when I went out and Googled, I found lots of Commodore podcasts, but they're all, basically all they are is like radio where they just play Commodore songs. And that's not really what I wanted. Um, I found a Commodore podcast called the C64 Walkabout, and there's not that many episodes, and there were only a few episodes where he was talking about games, and on the other ones, he interviewed people and did stuff. Well, I wanted somebody talking about Commodore games. And then um, Earl Evans, when he broke up retro bits into the different shows and he started Chicken Lips, he said it was going to be a Commodore-themed podcast. And so I was really excited because I thought, God, I really don't want to do another show. I really wish somebody would do a show I want to listen to. But, uh, well, he's only done one episode and I think Earl is more technical of a guy than I am. I think, 
um, you know, he's going to be talking about maybe technical aspects of a Commodore or whatever. I want somebody that's talking about games. And so finally I decided uh, that I was going to make Sprite Castle. And Sprite Castle, it's funny that the name, I came up with the name like two years ago and I was going to do a game review website. And I was only going to review retro games and I was going to call it Sprite Castle because the sprites from old video games. And I worked on it for a little while, and I really couldn't find out... I couldn't narrow down the scope of what I wanted that website to be, and so I've just sat on the domain name. And when I decided to do the website, uh, or do the show Sprite Castle, I already had the website, and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to repurpose this website, and that's going to become Sprite Castle. And so that's what I did. Um, Sprite Castle is a video show. I, I call it a tube cast because I upload it to YouTube. I update it several times uh, a week, and basically what I do is I capture footage of myself playing Commodore 64 games. So I, I do a picture-in-picture picture type show where I do, I capture the video of the game, and then in the corner I also capture video from a webcam of my face. And so between those two things, uh, I overlay those and um, put this show up or whatever. And it's been a lot of fun, and I think more than, I mean, it's it's a show in the in the sense that it's released, you know, uh, a few times a week or whatever, but more, I think what it'll end up being is like a, you know, like a resource on YouTube where people go to Google, oh, I need, you know, footage of Pitfall on the Commodore 64, and then they'll find Sprite Castle, so. Now, one problem with both of my shows is that they require massive amounts of post-production. Um, you don't know Flack does because I am a terrible speaker, <laughs> and you may listen, if you listen to Throwback Reviews, as opposed to You Don't Know Flack, I sound a lot smarter on You Don't Know Flack because on that one I get to do the editing and I cut out all the parts where I sound terrible. Um, and Sprite Castle being a video-based podcast, there's just a certain amount of editing that goes hand-in-hand hand with that kind of show. Here's our friend Carrington from No Quarterback with a little bit about getting into editing hell. Hello, disciples of Rob. This is Carrington. I've been podcasting for eight years, and I'd like to give you my number one tip for how to stick with podcasting once you get into it. Be as lazy as possible. And I actually mean that sincerely. Most people get excited about podcasting, but then come up with a method of producing their podcast that involves a ton of editing and a ton of post-production and it takes hours and hours to do, and it burns them out. They put out a few episodes and they give up. The way to go long-term is to make the production method not just smooth and seamless, but most important, short and easy. I suggest that you always treat your microphone like it's live. You are doing a live-to-air podcast. Sometimes you will have to edit things, but your goal should be to get to a point where you just talk for the length of your show. Any pre-production you do to make notes, to set a schedule, to write a script, anything, all of that before you start recording will be way faster than trying to do what they call fixing it in post. If you record a half an hour show, and have 15 points that you have to go in and edit and delete things, it will take you hours to edit that show, even once you get good at it. You are far better off coming to the microphone, at least a little bit prepared, 
and then just barrel through. It doesn't matter if you say um and ah too much. It doesn't matter if you forget a word or stumble over something. That's fine. It's a podcast. It's colloquial. If you come up with a method that lets you get as fast as possible from the stopping record to published podcast, the minimum steps you can possibly do will always be the path to success. There's some editing you will, of course, have to do. Generally, you have to export the file to something that's suitable for podcasting. You might have to bring up the volume in editing, just a little bit of leveling, something like that, because your listeners, let's face it, aren't in a a wonderful living room listening to you. It is not quiet. It's not like music. No, they're in a car during their commute or they're in a noisy train going to work or they're listening through tiny, tinny little earbuds as they walk around a busy mall. It is noisy out there. So bring your volume up. But other than that, just export the file, throw on the, the minimum tags so that it appears smartly in somebody's iTunes account, add the artwork to the file and fire it off at iTunes. That's all you want to do. It's more important to reduce your post-production time so that it becomes simple, so that you're actually at the point where you're looking around for a second show you could do. Because once you're in that position, it's smooth sailing. You'll hit episode 100 easy. As a real-world example, Rob put out the call to podcasters to send him these short little tips, and I've sent him two. How did I have time to do two of them? Because I did them both in one take. Laziness is the key to success. Otherwise, how would you explain the Kardashians? I couldn't agree with Carrington more. The less posts that you have to do, the better off you are. The way you could get around that is you know, making sure what you record the first time sounds good. I have, uh, in the recent few months, I've kind of dwindled on my uh, productivity for You Don't Know Flack, and and part of that is because I've started recording more with throwback reviews and uh, showing up on Guy Hutchison's podcast, the Adventure Club podcast, and Flux Capacit cast. And what I really like about those is that I don't have to edit them. (laughs) Sean puts together throwback reviews for us, and Guy puts together his shows. And so they're the guys that have to do all the editing and and splicing things together and, and lining up all the audio for people or whatever. And uh, uh, it makes you get lazy when you're doing your own show that to have uh, somebody else do all that on a different show. A couple of the clips have mentioned marketing and um, more specifically that they don't know how to market. And I'll tell you, marketing is somewhat important. I won't say it's the most important thing. And it's definitely something you can think about uh, after you get your show rolling. But as, at a minimum, you want to get your show online. Um, you know, that means probably having a website. Not all podcasts have a website. Um, and you can set up a page on Facebook. That's free. You can set up a Twitter account or Google Plus, however you want to do it. Uh, but getting those places where your listeners can get together and give you feedback or talk about the episodes, I think that's important. Um, the other thing about marketing is uh, cross-marketing, I guess is the word for that. And that means appearing on other people's podcasts and having people from other podcasts on your podcast. It's all good karma. It's all good, um, you know, exposing other people's shows and they'll talk about your show and, you know, making friends with other podcasters, not just from a a marketing standpoint, uh, because that makes it sound a little cold, but um, for the standpoint of sharing information and 
sending listeners to each other or whatever. I think it's all great. I, I advertise every time I hear a good podcast, I tell people about it. Um, you know, and I assume if other people hear my podcast, if they like it, maybe they'll share it with a friend. So, um, yeah. And like I said, as far as marketing, I'm not really talking about, you know, taking out a, an ad in the daily times or whatever, but just getting online and, and promote, if you believe in your product, stand behind it, you know, put it on the signature of a forum or make a Facebook page and like it or whatever. You, you'd be amazed how a word eventually gets around. With that, I want to leave you with one final piece of advice from my good friend, the retroist. I have very little in the way of practical advice. For anyone who is trying to create a podcast, I was actually not going to have a podcast for the longest time, but I had a friend named Jonathan who had a podcast about haunts and horror, and it was doing very well, and he would go to the Retroist blog, and almost every day he would encourage me to try to podcast, and I would make all sorts of excuses. Oh, I don't have the right mic. I don't know what to say. I don't think I could script it. People are going to get bored with the way I sound. All Jonathan would say time and again is none of that matters. Just do it. Just get on there and start talking and see what happens. He kept this up for months, and I'd like to thank him for that because I did eventually sit down with a very poor quality microphone and record my first show. It took me about 50 minutes because I kept stopping, starting over, and trying to get through it without a script. And I was very unhappy with the show, which I sent to him and had him listen to it. And instead of giving me feedback on fix this, fix that, he said, you'll fix all those things. Just put this up and just go from there. And this is the advice I give to many people who want to start podcasting. Don't sit around. Don't overthink it. Come up with an idea. Hopefully it's about something you're passionate about. And start recording. Hopefully that thing that you're passionate about will come through in what you're saying and it will overcome any flaws that might show themselves in your early recordings. And then over time, you'll learn what sounds better. Maybe you'll get a better microphone. Maybe you'll discover you don't like doing it. But until you try, you're never going to know. So get podcasting. Get podcasting. It's great advice. The more you podcast... You'll find out what sounds better. You'll find out what needs to be improved on your show. You will get over that weird feeling you have the first time you edit a show and you hear your own voice and you think you sound like a dummy. Get podcasting. On this episode of You Don't Know Flack, I hope you found what you were looking for. I gave you some technical advice and I gave you some big picture overall advice. And more than that, I hope you got some encouragement and I hope you got some inspiration, not just from me, but from all the great people who sent me in submissions. Uh, I really appreciate their time. I thank them so much for sending some of those in. I'd like to personally thank each one of them. Guy Hutchison, you can hear Guy Hutchison on, he's on more podcasts than I am. He's on like twice as many as I am. He's on the Adventure Club podcast with John Jay, Flux Capacicast, Bunch of Junk, Camel Clunch Cinema, and his most recent one, Drunk on Disney, which is a great podcast. Uh, you can find all of Guy Hutchison's podcasts at theacpn.com. I will have links to all of these also in the show notes. Thank you to Earl Green, a.k.a. Phosphor.Fossils, my good friend. You can check out thelogbook.com. That's thelogbook.com for all of Earl's books and videos and also for his daily podcast, The Escape Pod. Thank you to Ferg from the Atari 2600 Game by Game podcast. I think everybody 
this week had uh, an inspirational submission, but I thought uh, Ferg's was really good. I hope you listened to him. I hope you heard his message. I hope you heard that he wished he had started when he first started thinking about podcasts. And I, I hope he conveyed that to you. I hope I conveyed that to you as well. Uh, Ferg's podcast could be found at the, uh, I believe he is also on Libsyn, or you can find his podcast over at throwbacknetwork.net. Thank you to Rick and Paul from the Intellivisionaries podcast. You can find those guys over at Intellivisionaries.com. They are also listed on throwbacknetwork.net. Thank you to Doug McCoy. Doug is a prolific podcaster. I think I've used that description on Doug multiple times now. Doug puts out multiple shows a week. He puts out great content. I highly recommend listening to Doug's shows. You can find Doug over at McCoyCast.wordpress.com or you can find Doug's podcast, all three of his podcasts, over at throwbacknetwork.net. Carrington Vanston, thank you so much for your submissions. Carrington is the co-host of the No Quarter Podcast with Mike McGinnis. Uh, no Quarter Podcast is the newest edition at throwbacknetwork.net, so you can find No Quarter there or at their home at monsterfeet.com forward slash no quarter. If you'd like to find Carrington's other podcasts, be sure to check out, just go to the root, monsterfeet.com. And Carrington is also the co-host of the Retro Computing Roundtable, rcrpodcast.com. So thank you, Carrington, and thank you to the Retroist. Retroist.com has retro updates every single day. He also has 149 episodes of the Retroist podcast, which covers everything from retro video games to movies, television shows, and toys. So thank you so much, Retroist. I know a lot of people look up to your show and look for advice on podcasting, so thank you for sharing. And last but not least, thank you to my partner in crime, my co-podcaster on Throwback Reviews, Mr. Sean Johnson, also host of OTR Radio. Without Sean, there would be no throwbacknetwork.net. So thank you, Sean, for sending in something, and um, thanks for all your help on the podcast and on the podcast network. Um, I have a great time recording with you, and I look forward to doing it for a long time. The only final words I have for you all is, again, record a show you would like to listen to, do the best that you can, and get podcasting. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. I hope you found something you were looking for in this episode, and I look forward to seeing you all again on episode 146 of You Don't Know Fly. Right off the bat. Oh, here's some advice. Get a comfortable chair. Oh, God. I'm going to do an episode a week starting in 2013. Oh. Here's, here's some advice. Don't eat Taco Bell right before you record. I'm going to chair the squeaks. There's some good advice. Sounds like I'm doing something dirty in this chair.
also don't drink. I'll drink and record. Into one episode or one podcast at a time. More than that, it's exciting to get somebody else started podcasting. Um, it's kind of like, you know, that first time you sell dr- drugs to a friend. <laughs> God, this is something you shouldn't do on podcasting. You shouldn't make yourself laugh. Now I've lost my place. Shoot.